Welcome to the DTS Fitness Education Podcast. The aim of the podcast is to give you usable content for you if you're a health and fitness enthusiast or for your clients if you're a health and fitness professional. With different points of view and a little bit of fun, we break down information to give insights that empower and hopefully inspire through a lens of longevity and pain-free living for everyone. So stay tuned and enjoy. Today on the DTS Fitness Education Podcast, we've got Andrea Duquesne. Andrea is Director of Certifications for Dragon Door Publications. She's a Master Kettlebell Instructor and has multiple qualifications to fall back on. She's written and produced books and DVDs. She's contributed to many different articles, magazines, and contributed to uh, presenting different conventions all over the world. So let's have a little listen and stay tuned. Welcome to the DTS Fitness Education Podcast. My name's Ben McDonald and I am here with, she's back again, back by dope demand, Andrea Duquesne. How are you, Andrea? Hello, 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 Ben. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. And I love summer, so um, I'm in my element here, even though normally we're pretty cold, but we're having a heat wave and I just love it. So if I can, I'll get up to the lake, maybe do some sailing, but uh, yeah, love it. So how are you doing? I'm living the dream, mate. I'm living the dream. I say to my wife, it's too hot. And she hates it when I say that because she likes the hot. I like the cold. So uh, we are complete in everything. Pretty much <laughs> opposite, polar opposite ends of the spectrum. <laughs> well, that's good. You compliment each other. I'm, I'm the same with my partner, Heat. But I'm, I'm teaching him slowly how to enjoy the heat and live it. But yeah, she sounds like just, just like right up my alley. Well, she's, she's been trying to teach me for 25 years. So I'm just like, just coming round to certain things. You know what I mean? Just about. So today, today we are talking about movement. And I know, as we spoke about before we came on, I know this is a massive area. So we're just going to see, we're just going to see where the questions go and where it takes us. And I think it's going to be an interesting one. We don't know where we're going to end up. <laughs> All right, so let's get straight into it. Question number one, why is movement so important for us? Well, if you stop moving, you die, pretty much. I mean, I, I, really down to the end of it, if you look at, at uh, older people, one of the first things that happens is they, they think, I have to slow down, or they get a small injury, and they start to slow down. As soon as they slow down, everything else will fall apart. Movement is what we do as human beings. It defines us. And if you don't move, you're going to be dead. It's as simple as that. That's quite succinct and to the point there, Andrea. Do you know what I mean? That's how important it is. That's truly, (laughs) truly, truly. I mean, they've done so many studies about this. The people that move, uh, they've done studies on the speed of a person's walk. If you're a slow walker, chance of living 10 or 20 years is much less than a person who moves faster. If you are a person who moves a lot, you're also going to tend to weigh less. And uh, that's probably ta- sums me up completely. I can't, I'm, I'm going to boast you guys to so watch out. I mean, I'll be bouncing around here. But so the more we move, the better we are. I think it helps everything in our bodies, our brain functioning, our blood pressure, our heart rate, our happiness, everything. It really is what it means to be a human being is to move. 
Nice, nice. You know what? I'm actually, uh, <clears throat> I'm reading a book, a very interesting book. And for the people that know me, they'll be like, what, you're reading a book? Yes, <laughs> yes, I'm reading a book. <laughs> oh, it's, it's on called, audio. It's on audio, isn't it? It's I'm actually book. reading it. You know what I mean? It's, I know, shock horror, shock horror. <laughs> uh, it's called Primate Change. It's about like how we've shaped the world and now it's sort of reshaping us. And there's a particular, compo- a particular part in it where uh, this guy's looking at longevity, right? And he has these things called blue zones where people live to a, a hundred years plus. And some of them, long story short, I think the guy's called Giovanni Pez, something like that. He was doing the research anyway. So he finds that Sicily is at like a hot spot for this blue zone. Wow. So he goes and he checks it out. And obviously there's stuff like uh, nutrition, like sunshine, all that, like environmental stuff. But he looks at two groups of people, right? It looks at seamstresses in Sicily against seamstresses elsewhere in the world. He found that the seamstresses in Sicily had far more, far much more longevity, right? So he, he looks at everything, and that what he put it down to, which I thought was cool, because we get so obsessed with perfect movement, right? So what he put it down to was the seamstresses in Sicily used a pedal-operated sewing machine. Oh, as fact. opposed to an electric sewing machine. And he said just the action of the foot on the pedal, like doing their sewing for the day, seemed to have a correlation to the longevity of life. And I just thought, wow, as, as coaches, we can get so obsessed with like movement must be perfect. You must do this, you must do that. And he was saying just that on its own seemed to increase longevity in people. That makes absolutely perfect sense to me. You know, you see the people that, like I was talking about, being the antsy people that are always moving. They're always tapping their foot. They're always moving around. They're the ones that, like I said, tend to be thinner and healthier. And I think that our society has changed so much that we don't have to do anything. We get the most movement with our fingers just on our phones or our our laptops. So I totally agree with you. Any movement is better than no movement. And it doesn't have to be perfect. And I tell a lot of clients, especially the ones that are trying to get back into it or they're very heavy or they have some issues, you just have to move. Maybe that's just walking. I had one client who I would take him to do just, he could do like three swings, three, and have to set the bell down. And he'd just have to kind of catch his breath. He had some breathing issues. He was some other issues, of course, too. But now we can do 100 swings in sets of five. Five, he rests, five, he rests. And he's talking through the whole thing and he's doing his sets and he gets them done within a reasonable period amount of time, maybe 10, 15 minutes, which for him was, are you kidding me? He could do three swings and had to stop. And I, now he's getting out walking and running and so forth. So it's about moving and started, not just saying, oh, I have to get fit before I can go to the gym or I have to, oh, I don't know if I can do this, you know, it's too much or that my gym, my trainer is going to be mad at me for not, you know, doing this full workout. So I tend to be really lenient with people and just say, move, you know, this is our goal. I'll get you there, but you, you have to move your body. And I always, speaking of movement for a, another client, walking was a big part of what they had to do just because was, they needed to. What did he get? He got shin splints, got some other issues. So I said, no, you have to move, you have to move your joints. You have to prepare your body even for that. That's simple ankle circles, work your feet, work your stretch out your hamstrings, a little bit of that movement to release the body will make you move better. So that's why when we talk about movement, 
it's, you have to look at the whole body. What does it need? Every joint needs to move. Every joint needs to move every day. And that means all the muscles that the connective tissue that cross that joint have to move and fire. So uh, that's a great way to get people started is to say, move your joints. Maybe it's just sitting there at your desk, rolling your shoulders. You know, maybe it's sitting there doing ankle circles. It doesn't matter. Then you'll feel more likely to get up and do that walk or do the kettlebell swings or whatever it is you're going to do. Right. Get a dog. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Well, yeah. Get the right dog. <laughs> We've got a dog. We've got like I'm a dog person, and we've got a husker. Flipping neck, mate. It's just like this fur. Like you eat something, and you like <laughs> like these bits of fur, and you're like Jesus. You know what I mean? So get the right yeah. dog. Yeah, yeah. And also, I mean, if you get a little dog, he probably doesn't need to go for a walk. You want to get a dog that kind of makes you have to get them taken for a walk. I mean, but it is. It's about movement. It's about getting out there, and also the studies about just getting outside is important too. And I think we get so focused on making sure we have our, our clients in the gym. Here's, the, here's the, your program. You got to hit it. Okay. I want you to do this many sets, this many reps, this particular exercise, this particular way. I mean, that's burnout for a lot of people, especially if they've been sitting at a desk all day or they're under a lot of stress. I think we just need to kind of lighten up a little bit and get people to be out there doing what they enjoy and preparing their bodies to do what they enjoy. And that means maybe shorten the program, shorten the workouts. That's precise. And, and then stretch out and add other types of movement in there to make them uh, happier and more well-rounded. And as they get better and move more, they'll want to do more. I don't know. I think we, we start out being pretty uh, strict with them to the point where it's not fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Give your clients the wins. Give them the early wins. Yep. Yeah. And make them feel like they want to do it, which is the hard part. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. So movement's important because if we don't do it, we die. Pretty much. <laughs> brilliant. Brilliant. So question number two, if you could only use one, only use one movement assessment, what would it be and why? You know, that's an interesting question. I would probably have to say a hinge movement assessment. That's going to show how much flexibility they have in their hamstrings. Do they have enough core to maintain a good spinal alignment? Are they, going to, are they moving from their hips so they're not just rounding at their spine or overusing their knees? So I, I, for me, it'd be a hinge movement pattern because kind of everything is you use hinge to sit up and down off the toilet. You're going to use it for a kettlebell swing or lifting in some manner. And I think that that really shows you have the control, the motor control, the strength and the flexibility to get your body and move it into a, a safe position for life as well as for exercise and fitness. I like it. I like that. I think uh, the hips are like the, the, the center there, the, uh, like the engine, the glutes are like the engine yeah. of the body. So exactly. if you can get them in the game, I think, uh, yeah, I like that. I like the, yeah. the hinge assessment. You know, I walk around, you look at people. I, I love, I'm a people watcher. And it's like, wow, we have an epidemic of the no butt. And it's just frightening. I mean, I get it. It's partly genetics, of course, right? Some people will, will naturally maintain or develop a butt. And I'm not talking just about, a, you know, ladies always want to think that they have to reduce their butt size. But no, you want a nice developed glute. And um, boy, you look at the, especially men, I think men are worse because they don't think they have to train their butt. They're focused on their, their biceps, their chest, 
you know, their abs, whatever. And the lower body and the glutes are what's important. So you see the no butt and the big belly. Wow, that is just a disaster. And so we need to be focusing on the butt. And, you know, I come from a family of no butts. And <laughs> we call it the Jackson. My maiden name was Jackson. The Jackson no butt. My brothers have no butt. <laughs> and it's in my sister. And I work so hard to keep one. It's all about the butt. You know, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad you said that. I, I, you can get away with that, Andrea. You know what I mean? But, it's not, but just as a prerequisite, it's not in a weird way. It's not in a weird way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But it's true. Look around, you know, and this is, you know, the fact of the way people age, right? What happens to men, they lose their glute muscle and they get the belly. Women can lose their glute muscle and they could just get a little wider and, and hippier. But I think a lot of women will tend to focus on their lower body because they know that it's more aesthetic, right? And um, I mean, obviously this is changing, right? I mean, there's, there's Brett Contreras is the butt man, but I'm going to talk about the general population out there. I was doing a little class, a little kettlebell class for my, my brother and his son and, or his daughter, son-in-law and his, his da daughters. And it was like, whoa, uh, yeah, you guys need to be working on your butts and getting into your hinging and how do I get them to hinge? And oh my gosh. Um, and they're just a sample of the population. So if you get that and you can do a good hinge and you can develop that butt and feel the glute to fire, then you can move. You can be running sprints. You'll be safer even on your bicycle for that matter. Be easier to live your life, you know, um, get up and down off the floor, uh, pick that box up, you know, and just be healthier. Big butt is the engine of the body. Absolutely. And the I core, like the core is the transmission. Yes, yes, because it transfers, transfers, it transfers the power. That's right. That's right. If you don't have a, a good engine and you don't have a good, healthy, functioning transmission, everything else is going to go to hell. It's going to, you know, then you're going to wreck the shoulders and wreck the knees and wreck all the wheels and the rest of the body. I like the way that analogy just grew then, you know what I mean? <laughs> So it's good to have, it's good to have, in technical terms, it's good to have a badunkadunk. Yes, a dunk a dunk. A dunk a dunk. Oh. A badunkadunk. Very good. Very good. <laughs> a badunkadunk. Now, I don't think I've heard that one before. See, I can say that because you brought it up. I can say that because you brought it up. Okay, question number three. So we've got uh, hip hinge would be your one movement assessment, and I like that. I like that because it carries over into so many different areas. Which activity would, uh, would give a client the biggest bang for their book? And that could be the easiest, the most accessible for clients. But which one activity would give the client the biggest bang for the book? You know, the most accessible is walking. For the most effectiveness, that's, I think, fairly easy. Of course, coming from my background would be something like the kettlebell swing. Anybody can do it. I had a gentleman who had one leg. And he was an amputee and he was able to do a kettlebell swing. So I think that for actual getting your body to move, that would be the best. I mean, obviously just walking, right? Most people just need to get out. And as we were talking about earlier, movement means you live longer. So most people can walk. However, I do have a caret with that because a lot of people, you watch their inside loops, outside loops, pronation, knees collapsing, arms aren't, aren't, aren't even moving. So there's actually, it's kind of a little bit of a skill to it. But for most people, it's not that much. Easiest thing that people can do every single day is to walk. That means park your car further away from the store, from the store, and walk to it. 
you know, take the stairs. Um, just get out and walk. Walk your dog in the morning. Walk when it's cool in the, or in the evening or the morning. Take the stairs in your office. Walk back and forth, whatever you need to do, because that's creating that movement. If you want something that's, you actually are going to, it's more of a system than a swing takes you where you need to go because you're going to be getting that hip hinge. You're going to be getting the glutes. You're actively, explosively hit, H-I-T, right? So it's kind of all encompassed in that. And it's fairly simple to do a two-handed swing. I mean, 75-year-olds, 80-year-olds, it doesn't matter what, what age you are, you can do a swing. And it's just some simple modifications. So those are the two best ones, I think, for the average person that people can do anywhere, right? You can hopefully you can walk anywhere and you could swing a kettlebell in a very small space. Nice. I think uh, we call it the happy walk like uh, DTS, because we did uh, the low back pain specialist course that we, that we do with, uh, it's powered by Stu McGill. Yeah. So that's one of his, yeah. that's one of his big things is walking. Cause you get a little mm-hmm. floss. Yes. You swing your arms, you get a yep. little floss going through the low back. You get a little, uh, a little more posterior pelvic tilt. You like everything gets a little movement in there, you know? Right. Especially when people learn how to walk correctly and they're actually walking with power, right? You want to squeeze the glute. You want to extend that leg back. So you're getting a little, hip extension with an extending leg. Uh, you want the arms to be moving, right? And that's creating that X patterning and, and encouraging that, that whole total body functioning. It's not that hard or complex, um, but I, I do I think that you know, walking is probably number one. And there's simple open up the feet, stretch out the hamstrings and hip flexors, make sure the arms are moving and you're good to go. And again, anybody of any type of population can do it. However, people that are really, really overweight do need to be instructed on making sure they have the proper footwear and they are moving correctly because they're carrying around a lot of extra weight, hundred pounds extra weight. So things do need to be a little bit modified, but they should be able to, to walk to get some exercise. Make, make sure it falls inside their capacity yeah. And, yeah. And, and they're good to go. You know what I mean? And I suppose yeah. that that's sort of dictates everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it does. But yep. Walking is what we do. We're humans, right? We, we stand upright and we walk. Distinguishes <laughs> us from all the other most of the other primates, except for maybe gorillas, but they kind of still walk. They still use their other hand, their hands a lot, right? Yeah. Yeah, 100%, yeah. 100%, my mate. So I think you've answered question number four. I think, I think you've actually answered it. Uh, that is our mo- one movement-based exercise. And okay. our movement-based exercise was the swing. I think mm-hmm. you sort of answered question number four, mm-hmm. but would, mm-hmm. you like to, would you like to yeah. uh, add anything? I would. Because when I think about movement, um, well, like we said earlier, it's a general movement. Now, I come from a background that has a dance background. I did martial arts. I still teach some dance. So I look at it in a really kind of all-encompassing way of movement, which means different planes, different angles, rotation, just a, a lot of moving the body, not just when you're walking or riding a, a bike, you're just straightforward, right? So I like for movement, which is also very useful because it's, it covers a lot of the basic um, movement systems, would be the get-up. Because you're teaching your body how to get up off the floor. You have a rolling pattern. You have your, your kneeling pattern. You have uh, abdominal work. You have shoulder stability on both sides. You have flexibility of the hips, stability of the shoulder. It kind of encompasses a whole a lot of movement. And probably the hardest part about it, but the most valuable almost, almost, is the coordination you develop. And I think this is hugely lacking in um, the athletic fitness world. Coordination. You know, I mean, yes, there's some triathletes or uh, 
marathon runners are incredible athletes, but geez, they don't know their right from their left. I mean, runners can sometimes be the hardest people to teach any kind of movement that's somewhat complicated because they don't have that awareness, kinetic awareness. Um, the flexibility, mobility, think about a power lifter. Geez, they can't even scratch the back of their head. They're so locked up, right? Or, or tie their shoes in many cases. So again, when we're thinking about movement, I like to think about the whole body. Um, you know, going back to our primate friends, um, look at how they use their whole body. They're swinging in the trees or they're moving it in all different directions. And I think that makes movement even more enjoyable and it'll take you to a greater level. If you can move your body, you understand right from left, you can coordinate, you know, um, your hand to your foot, your hand to your eye, you can rotate, you can extend, you can, you know, use your whole body in a, in a, in a, in a very controlled way. Right. And, this is something that I think that, like I said, is lacking unless you come from a martial arts background or a dance background or skating, something that requires a little bit more movement, right? Um, and, you know, there's been a lot of things coming up. We're talking about the latest, some trends and flows from yoga are, are a big trend or have been in the last year or so. Uh, the move, primal movement patterns, which are basically like a variation of, a yoga, of yoga, actually, or modern dance, actually, it's very similar to modern dance. That's that whole um, area is, is come around as being popular, and that's great. Now, this is the problem: the people that need to be taking those kind of classes are often the people that are already loosey and goosey. I call them loosey goosies, and really uh, already move really well, and so they gravitate to what's easy, right? They probably need to develop more strength, or maybe more explosive power to be a well-rounded athlete. The people that need those types of movements and classes or, or training aren't there because they find it hard, you know? So it's kind of like, hmm, you know, you got to give them what they need and you got to give them what they want. But I can't tell you how many times I've been in certifications and these big guys are happy as clams when we're doing front squats and uh, presses. You get them to do the get up and they're like crying. I mean, they're struggling, <laughs> right? You know, so that's, that's a really, really important thing is to, to be able to get the body to move. And for older populations, of course, feeling confident about how they move their body in space, getting up and down off the floor and feeling confident with that is huge. Again, that'll make them want to move more. Mm. You know, walking is the first step, but after that, you need to take it a, a, a step further. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's perfect. I think the, you hit the nail on the head when you said, use the word confidence, because it's like a thing here. Especially as people age, like the the biggest fear is falling down on the ground and not be able to get back up again. You know. Yeah. So if you, if they've got the confidence where it's like, hey, you could do this with a flaming kettlebell, so you should be easy to you know what I mean to get your own body off the ground. You're good to go, you know. And it's uh, and then it opens the door because there is no fear of uh, uh, that's inhibiting the movement. Do you see what I mean? It's also kind of interesting. Um when I watch people do something like that, now it's a complicated movement pattern, right? That's teaching our body's coordination and how to move our body in space. It, but it's kind of an interesting, almost a screen in the sense that when people rush through different por portions of it, and when they rush through something, we talk about movement. And I think when I talk about movement, there's also movement quality. There's just like, okay, get out there moving, but then there's movement quality. And uh, that's where I always aim for is the best movement quality, no matter how simple the movement is. But if you rush through something, that means you don't own it. So the get-up should be smooth and controlled, and it should be done slowly. I mean, you don't have to do it super slow. You could. 
but it's the idea that I own it. So when I get to this position, I'm, I can hold that because I have the integrity and I know what I'm going to do next. The transitions are smooth and I'm not rushing. I'm not falling through it and using momentum or just collapsing and letting it own me. I own the movement. And that takes a person way deeper into their own body and movement understanding. When you take something like that and make it slow, you make it controlled and you be are precise with it. Um, so then when you, when you integrate it all that, then you can speed it up if you want to, you know, without load or go really heavy or whatever, or you'll find that it's going to be easier to pick up other types of movement that you found it was hard before. Maybe you want to take some kind of a sport and you found it very challenging, but after you've worked on your body and understood how it moves in space and where you are in space, uh, it, that'll be easier. So it's one of the best things to develop that part of athleticism, which is movement quality and control. From something that you said a little earlier as well, with uh, with people gravitating towards what they like, yeah, um, not necessarily what they need. Yes. And I think if we can sort of just step outside of our comfort zone a little bit and and apply ourselves to different pieces, like we have a guy who teaches the powerlift. It's not the powerlifting course; it's a barbell strength course that mm -hmm. we uh, that we put on. He's strong and his <laughs> wife is super strong, right? It's brilliant because she flaming beats all the boys, you know, pound for pound. She's a flaming beast. But they can, you watch their body weight squat and it is super clean. Like right. they just, they move so well yeah. because they always, they'll do lots of different things. Like I think uh, Chrissy's wife, she's just run a 10K. You know, so she's do, like does lots of different components right. and works on those little weaknesses. And I think it's like you said, if you want to become that all round sort of uh, have that all round athleticism, then you have to do the stuff that maybe you don't naturally gravitate to. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you have to train your weakness. So that's how I look at it. You train your weakness and then you just work out. You do the stuff you enjoy that you know you're good at. You know you can always do that, right? But you train the part of you that you know you're not as good at that you need. And that will make you, um, and I think most people that were probably, in, in, uh, unless you're a competitive athlete, most of us want to just move well or our clients do and they want to be able to have act, do their activities, whether it's whatever it is, golfing or who knows, sewing. <laughs> who knows what it is, right? They want to be good at it and they want to feel good and they want to be active. They want to play with their grandchildren. You hear that a lot. So uh, if you get them to do what they need, they'll reach that a lot faster than if they just focus. And of course we do, as you said earlier, we want to make sure they have some success. That's super important. They have to feel like they're, they're accomplishing something and they're improving, even if it's just tiny. And they won't always feel the improvements. Flexibility is a good example. You, we need to work on a certain amount of flexibility, otherwise we'll become locked up. You can create injuries or asymmetries in the body. So you want to keep things mo moving and comfortable. So if you're trying to get a person who's really, really locked up and tight, it's restricting their movement, they won't necessarily feel that they have how far they've come because you're always stretching to the end of your flexibility. So you have to find ways to show them, yes, see how much further you are now or uh, in their strength. If you, you know, It's pretty easy because you can, of course, you can add, a, add load to it or add reps to it. But there are some areas, and movement quality is one too, that you have to be talk them through and uh, point out how they are actually improving. And they'll start to feel it themselves. But, you know, we got to push people to what they are not comfortable with. And that's 
where they grow. And it's, yeah, for all of us, right? We all have to do that. I think that's the same in, in, in absolutely everything that you do. You know what I mean? I think that carries, carries over. Fantastic. All right. Question number five. We're at question number five already. So for question number five, what are your top tips? And you'll like this one. What are your top tips for movement improvement? I kind of hinted at it earlier. First of all, move often. Move your joints. I cannot say this enough, but you know, every joint in the body has got to be moved or it's going to get locked up. So by moving them and doing it controlled and slow enough that you are know you're controlling it, not just kind of like uh, getting it done, but actually doing it slow and controlled will actually help you develop the more neurological connection, warm you up so that your movement that you're going to be practicing then will be smoother and better. The other thing, so that it would be moving your joints, moving you know, your full body at some point throughout the day in its full range of motion. And it doesn't have to be much. You could just stand up out of bed and just kind of roll. Think about all the joints from your ankles all the way up to your neck, right? The next thing, which I also mentioned a bit earlier, is to make sure that you have some practice that is slow and controlled. Again, where you're really mindfully trying to move something with control slowly, because that when you slow something down, you're again kind of developing more of that neuro neurological connection of control. And then, of course, move fast too, eventually move fast. So for instance, we like to say when we're doing, for instance, a kettlebell workout, you have our grinds would be, grind would be something just slow, maybe just a press, maybe it's a squat. You want to do it slow and control so you're using the muscles to develop strength. The get up can be done smooth. That's that movement patterning that can be done smooth and controlled. But then when you get to your ballistics, that's when you want to move fast. Yeah. That's when you want to speed up. You don't want to always just move slow. You need to be ballistic too if you want to be, again, a well-rounded athlete. So you have to practice that because that's not easy for other people. There are a lot of people that have spent their whole life just in a yoga class. You ask them to do a kettlebell swing. If you took a, a snapshot of them through the whole uh, exercise, they would look frozen in time, perfect, right? Their technique and form, but they're missing the uh, important part of it, which is the explosiveness of it, right? So you have to develop that too. So I think that Movement has to be, like I said, you have to start slow, own it with control, moving the full body in different planes in different ways, and then you have to be able to speed it up. And then you'll have that kind of all-round athleticism. You'll have the explosive power. You'll have the movement quality. So if you want to go heavy or you're, whatever it is, you're going to be stronger, faster, and better. So I don't know if that was kind of what you want me to say, but but that's what I, I came out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. I don't know if that's what you wanted me to say. <laughs> it's not what I wanted you to say. But that was like, that was great. That was great. So move your joints, move yeah. slow, mm -hmm. and then make sure that you get the speed in there as well. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, now I was thinking about it. And I used to train a lady on the, on the pad. I've trained multiple ladies with like right. pad training and stuff, right? right? So this one lady in particular, she could move really well, but like the snap in the speed of her shots, it took a long time to sort of like generate, get her into that sort of like explosiveness because yeah. she'd done a lot of like very slow and controlled stuff, but very little explosive dynamic stuff, you know? Yep. It's so true. I mean, I often say that when teaching the swing, for instance, 
the hardest part for some people is that explosiveness. And actually, it's the hardest thing to teach someone. It's the hardest thing to get them to, to, to do. It, I mean, I can fix any other problem very quickly, right? But the explosive power is something that's very hard. I had a, a gal who came from a Pilates and yoga background. Her form was impeccable. Uh, her alignment, everything was just beautiful. But she, everything was like moving at the same speed. It's like, how do you do a swing that way? Because it's the hips as we decide. Remember, the hips are the engine. The there core is the transmission. But it was like everything was moving at the same speed. It's like, whoa. So I devised a number of things. And it took her quite a while to practice it. Uh, she had to send me a video. But she got there eventually. But it was, it's interesting, isn't it? And you've got other people that just want to be fast, fast, fast. Ask them to slow down and they just don't know what to do. You yeah, know? Yeah. I think, I think you're right. We've got like either end of the spectrum, you know what I mean? I think the sweet spot. But as you said, it's like, sometimes it's difficult because when you don't come from that background, like for me, I don't know if you could tell, Andrea, but I'm not a yoga person. I don't know if, I don't know if you tell. could tell that by looking at me. But you I'm got a hoodie really on, you know, big sweatshirt, so... <laughs> I'd have, I'd have to see your. I'd have to. Uh, I'd have to check out your, your your glutes to make sure that you. Oh well, yeah, yeah, out. well, yeah, that's a that's for, that's for offline. You know what I mean? But, um, like, so my background is all explosive stuff. It's all combat sports, like jumping, like run, all that stuff. So when you you're like, why are you moving like that? Do you know what I mean? It's like because right. how do I explain? You just do it. You yeah. just. Just go fast. You know what I mean? It's sometimes when you're not from that background, it's a little difficult. You know what I mean? Well, we do know that there are different types of people ha tend to be dominant, either the fast twitch or the slow twitch muscles, right? I mean, if you had an, an endurance runner, put him next to a sprinter. I mean, they're both running straight forward, but there's such a difference. Yeah, in the slow twitch, maybe they're better. I mean, if they're, they're taught early to be moving slow and smooth, like maybe they do Tai Chi or something, that that'll create that even more so. And a lot of ladies, like I said, will maybe always spend their time in the yoga and Pilates classes. And then they go and they sit on a uh, elliptical machine or whatever, or they just go for a little jog. So everything's either moving kind of straight forward or kind of at this, at this slow speed. And that's interesting because, you know, getting runners to come to, to do a, a kettlebell class. I mean, they have great endurance, right? But the ballistic nature of it, um, it shatters them. Honestly, yeah. first of all, they don't have the muscle explosive power. They don't actually oftentimes have much of a butt. <laughs> um, but the idea of that in incredible intensity output and then a slight rest because you have to, right? It's just so intense. It's so different than just having this kind of easy going running. Even if you're running fairly fast, you're still at that same pace and you're using momentum. You're using gravity to help you. You're using nowadays, they have special shoes that help propel you, you know? Oh, let's make it easy. This Nike's gonna start putting like little, you know, rockets on the bottom of the shoes to help people, you know? So to have them have to learn how to generate their own force and be explosive is, is very challenging. And I think they're kind of hard converts, just like the, the general runners. They're the hardest ones, you know, to do the, this kind of like your kind of sport or my kind of sport. It's hard for them. Maybe it's easier for people that have come from our, the more explosive power to slow it down, but I think sometimes it's hard because they haven't developed the, the finesse. You Very know. much like a blunt instrument, Andrea. Very much like a, like a blunt instrument. <laughs> <laughs> My name of finesse. I've never been said in the same sentence. <laughs> 
Brilliant. Okay. Oh, question number six. When it comes to movement, what areas tend to get overlooked? Well, I personally think in general, I'm thinking more of, I guess, right now the, of the spine in a sense, but I think um, things that require rotation, extension, those types of kind of movement, there's a real general movement. I think people kind of neglect those. They're thinking about, you know, always wanting to, to push and press. Uh, they're runners. They, they tend to, everything's kind of forward in that kind of positioning and not a lot of movement rotation and in, in that idea of changing direction. So I, that's kind of what I would say as far as the body. Wow. And then I, I guess just, you know, being able to change from slowing things down to speeding things up, the speed of the body's movement. But as far as actual just moving the body, rotation and extension, spinal rotation and ex extension. I teach Argentine tango is another, it's a hobby that I, but I teach at the university here in Minnesota fall semester. And, you know, it's, it's a beautiful dance. Google it and check it out. But it's all based on this idea of the spiral through the body. In order to generate a spiral, there has to be a rotation. So we, we talk a lot about deassociation of the upper body from the lower body. So the torso will rotate slightly. And just this movement would create a follower, if I'm leading, would create a follower to, to pivot her, her hips backward, right? So that creates energy. And then she takes it with her body connected to his shoulder to shoulder, chest to chest. So then she'll pivot with him and then her hips will follow. So the last thing to come out of this would be her feet maybe pivoting or doing a baleo or something. So it's kind of like the, from the man, he's grounded. It comes up through his body. He rotates his upper body. She takes it from her upper body and then unspirals uh, it down out her lower body. So there's an idea of spiraling around and a lot of circular mo motion through the body. The ability to move your shoulders and rib cage and, and T-spine separately from your hips is actually completely imperative to the dance to do it right. And so what we, I find is the average population, the young people may not know how to do it, but you can teach them because they still have some mo movement and flexibility in their spines, hopefully, right? <laughs> but as we get older, you lose that. And, and people move as a block. So they move their whole, their feet and their hips and their torso all together. And you can't dance the right way if you do that. It's very, very interesting. It's this crazy interesting way of the idea of a spiral. And that's honestly one of the first things you lose in the body is the ability to rotate the spine. And of course, extension, just because people are, are forward a lot, but that ro ability to rotate and, and disassociate your upper body from your lower body is so important. And that has to do with that transmission of the core, right? Because if you're throwing a punch, there's going to be a wind up or throwing a ball, you're going to wind up and you're going to throw and you're going to follow through, right? So the upper body has to move separately from the lower body. And, but power is coming from the lower body throughout you throw, for instance. So there's still that kind of wind up rotation that you need for golf. You need rotation. So a lot of athletic sports, you need the rotation and the ability to transfer the force um, whether you're transferring up or tangle, we, we transfer, uh, transfer it going down through the body. So that's kind of what I think is, is the lack of rotation and how we utilize that in our movement. I like that because I think um, coming from like the combat sport background, I'm big on the rotation stuff, yep. but it's all from the ground up. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yep. Do you see what I mean? So it's like, it's yep. very rare, especially like boxing, it's yes. very rare to get it the other way. Maybe with a bit of MMA as far as grappling goes, right. then you can get it from the top down as well. Right. 
as from the bottom up. But I think rotation, extension, definitely. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then I like the um, alternating speed. Yes. Because mm-hmm. I, I would agree that a lot of people miss that. They either go fast or go slow. You know right. what I mean? They don't alternate. They have uh, one alternate. speed. They, they oftentimes do their grinds too fast and their ballistics too slow. I like that. So do, just do fast and then do slow. Don't like, yeah. you know what I mean? Don't go middle Don't of the muddle road. It. Don't muddle it, right. Don't be middle of the road. That's boring. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I tell you what, mate, we got so again, again, good stuff again. I'm loving it. So what's new with you, Andrea? What's been going on? Oh, well, you know, we're all in kind of an interesting time right now. Um, for the last few months, I've been having to, you know, take my, you know, I only teach like four group classes a, a week. And that's just mainly for my local people. And I love to do, but taking that online, right through zoom has been interesting teaching everything. And of course I'm used to doing this kind of, you know, online training, of course, but that's different. It's with one person. You're focused on that one person. It's a little different, but doing a group class where you can't really see anybody. Cause I have to make sure I can see that I'm in the frame and they can see me. Um, has been quite a, a challenge and not having the feedback is you have to mute them. So it's just been kind of as an instructor, that's been kind of a challenge for me to, to do, but it's been kind of fun. And uh, what I have kind of coming up, which is also going to be interesting is uh, in the fall, I mentioned that I, I teach this tango class. And of course I've got to be prepared to go online. Now this is a class that you are you're heart to heart. You're literally dancing in an embrace with the person. That's how it's, you're supposed to dance. And it's a very complicated movement, a lot of pivoting rotation, a lot of balance, a lot of control, and then sometimes fast staccato steps too. But you have to do it with a partner. So, wow, how are we going to do that with social distancing? I'm coming up with all these ways. I've got to redo my whole syllabus um, and figure out how I can get these people, maybe just have one, pick one or two students and have to wear masks and you know, this, and then to go online and how can they learn online? What kind of exercises can I create for them so they can understand this language, which is a lead follow, which is very interesting. Um, when you're an athlete that has never had to do something where you're responding to another person, it's interesting to try to teach that because if I do something like I, I, I rotate my torso, or I take a step, a person has to respond directly to that, that information and not think about anything else. Um, just respond to the, the, the actual physical movement. That's kind of interesting from an athletic perspective. I suppose martial arts and uh, all that grappling kinds of sports deal with a lot of that too. You're, you're playing off another person. But yeah, so that's kind of interesting. Um, the other thing I did mention is that um, Dragondor is coming out with our new ISO chain, which has the, uh, it's a, a system that will allow you to actually measure the amount of force you're exerting in maybe you're doing a deadlift with the bar or an overhead press or you can adjust it in different ways and it'll actually measure your total tension. It'll measure the tension under time. You'll be able to program little workouts into it. So you can actually qualify and see and track your progress. Um, So that's really exciting um, and interesting, the concept of using isometrics. Now we've been talking about movement, but developing muscles the strength and the intensity of the muscle in an isometric form and then learning how to move well will really create a healthy person without a lot of wear and tear in the joints. And you can develop extreme strength in, in one area, maybe your sticking point, right? And the brain neurologically will be able to take this point as you that point and link them together. 
to create overall strength without having to put a lot of extra stress on the joints and it'll make you a really solid and strong athlete. So, you know, yin yang, right? There's within movement, there is stillness. Within stillness, there is movement. So this is kind of the overseeing philosophy, if you will, in a way, of, I think our whole conversation today. Fantastic. And then what is the uh, ISO chain? Is, that a, is it a product or is it a, a system? It's kind of both. It's going to be a very, I don't know how many page, 400 page manual that also covers ability of using, of applying the isometric uh, to body weight as well. But um, Paul Wade came up with, um, you know, a lot of, you know, using a lot of research, of course, too, in, in, the, in the manual, but came up with a device that has, so normally what you do, you could have a plate, you could have a chain, you could have a bar, you could exert uh, as an example and exert as much isometric contraction, hold that at a given point in flexion of a muscle, for instance. He has created us, we've created a system that actually will measure it. So on the bar, it'll, it'll beep or show you your, the amounts, the pounds per pressure that you've exerted on the bar. Uh, so you can know exactly, okay, so yesterday I was, I was at, I was at this point, I was able to exert this much force and produce this much, much power in production and tension. And then maybe the next day I can get up a little higher, right? So you can measure, it's actually measurable how much force you're actually exerting during your isometric training. And it'll also allow you to program it to say it'll beep when you've reached the point you want to get to. And it'll also allow you to train by time. So I want to hold this contraction under this amount, amount of pounds per pressure for this amount of time. So it's actually a way to use isometric training and train it and have it measurable, which is kind of unique. And then he has all the background and all the information and all the programming to go with it and the science behind it. And also how you can apply it to other types of exercises, including, you know, just regular body weight exercises. Yeah. yeah, that sounds really interesting. The links will be in the description for anybody who wants to go and check it all out. So, uh, yeah, so yeah. I'm sure if you're interested in all that, uh, in the isometric stuff, which mm -hmm. is fantastic, yeah, uh, then you can go over and check all that out. Beautiful, my mate. Beautiful. All right. So, you've already had the uh, who would win a fight between a great white and a saltwater croc. So, yeah. I had to come up with another one, and I've come up with one. Let's see. Let's see. <laughs> if you, if you were on a desert island, or if you were going to be ship, shipwrecked on a desert island, what is the one, the one thing you would take with you, and why? One thing you can take. Well, as you, as we discussed before we started, you know, at first I was thinking, well, I need my lip gloss, I need my sunblock, I need my sun hat, but okay. If I could have only one thing, it would be a knife and a nice sharp knife. Well, you got to tell me why. Because I could cut down vines. I could help build my shelter. Maybe I could stab or get, you know, I could make a little, you know, spear, cut out the spear. I could protect myself from any kind of wild animals. I could clean a wild animal. I could clean a fish instead of just eating it raw. So that probably what would be what i would pick i like it i want my lip gloss you can take two items you can take knife you can take a knife and lip gloss <laughs> brilliant well andrea thank you very much for coming on mate it is always a pleasure never a chore it's always <laughs> fantastic to speak to you i know it's so much fun thank you so much ben
And then I'm going to finish it with a goal. Andrew that was the DTS Fitness Education Podcast. You can follow us on social media or visit us at dtsfitnesseducation.com for more knowledge applied. Remember, there's a new episode weekly. So thanks for listening and go DTS Fitness Education!